Hello and welcome to today's episode on blockchain and financial inclusion. I'm Effie Pilarinu and I'm with my co-host Arun Krishna Kumar from Rhetoric in London. Hi, this is Arun Krishna Kumar from Rhetoric in London. Welcome, Luis Bonaventura, founder and uh, CEO of uh, Blue. Yes, thank you. Thanks, guys, for having me. So tell us, uh, Luis, a little bit about uh, yourself, where you're coming from, and of course, about the core value proposition of Blue. Cool. Yeah, sure. Um, so firstly, thanks so much for um, having me on your podcast today. Um, I'm actually calling in from Kowloon in Hong Kong right now, but I'm not based here. I'm based in Metro Manila in the Philippines. Um, I'm the one of the two founders of a company called Bloom. Um, and since 2015, we've been working to apply uh, cryptocurrencies and blockchain to kind of what we, what we like to call emerging market problems. Um, specifically, that's around um, money transfer, uh, cross-border payments, uh, remittances. Um, so that's kind of the area of our primary focus, and it's been that way for about three years now. If you think about the, the promise of technologies like cryptocurrency, where you know, the, the amount of energy it takes to move um, you know, a small amount of Bitcoin from one country to another is basically the equivalent of you know, uh, sending an email. Uh, you would think that it would be a very, very easy technology to apply to something like the remittance problem. But as we've discovered, some of this stuff is a little complicated, right? So it's hard for your average migrant worker to just use this technology. So we've kind of dedicated our company to making it new re- revolution in finance more accessible to the normal person. Um, and I can go into some details later, but um, that's kind of the general broad theme of Bloom as a company. Uh, We've always kind of focused on how to make this stuff accessible to the normal person. So Louis, uh, you're no uh, newcomer to the space, right? be it uh, blockchain, be it uh, remittance. And uh, uh, one of the things I read upon your profile is that you kind of almost coined the term remittance bits across uh, borders. Uh, so um, tell us more about why, how you got involved in the space, because there are lots of emerging market issues out there. I mean, it's not just remittance that uh, blockchain can solve. Um, why remittance? Well, I mean... So uh, I am from the Philippines and, uh, you know, a very, very large chunk of our economy kind of relies on on the inflow of of cross-border payments. Um, uh, So we do about $30 billion a year in inbound remittances, and that accounts for about 10% of our GDP. So, you know, it's by no means a small amount of our economy that's kind of reliant on, um, you know, the 10, 11 million Filipinos who are living overseas and kind of working and earning money outside of the country and then kind of bringing it back in. Um, And that's kind of a a very common theme. I don't think I have any friends who don't have at least one family member who isn't working overseas. It's just a very, very common theme uh, in the Philippines. And, you know, like uh, we're not, we're not unique in that sense. A lot of the other countries in Southeast Asia kind of have these same challenges because, you know, for whatever reason, their job markets locally, domestically, can't support the number of households um, that the, the country has. And because of this, 
um, you know, you have to look overseas. So the, the way I got into all of this was that I was actually uh, kind of in a different startup at the time. And, you know, my startup was having a really difficult time because um, I was, it was an e-commerce startup, a, local, a Philippine e-commerce startup. And it was having a lot of difficulty actually getting any payments uh, off of the internet because, you know, we were, we were generating some sales, but like a lot of our customers would drop off because they didn't have credit cards. Um, again, this is another common, common theme in emerging markets, you know, credit card penetration, online payments, they just, they're not very strong, right? And um, as an entrepreneur, I started looking around for other possible technology solutions uh, to get around my credit card problem. And I kind of discovered Bitcoin. And that's, that's how I got into the space. I, I initially saw Bitcoin as a potential solution to the credit card payments challenge. Um, it didn't turn out to be the case, though. Um, you, know, you know, Bitcoin turned out to be better for other things. Um, but that was kind of how I got started. So this was uh, very, very early in 2014 when I first started looking into Bitcoin. And, um, you know, over time, we started to realize that you could package it up and turn it into kind of a remittance uh, solution, um, you know, kind of specifically for our home market. You know, it makes it live and, and very sort of um, true to, to what you're doing. I guess from what you've said Beyond the technology, you are um, tackling a cultural um, problem, if you want, or a challenge locally on how to get um, <coughs> the people to adopt this uh, technology, correct? Yeah. Um, so I think one of our first discoveries, you know, back in the early days was that, you know, customer education is hard um, for something like Bitcoin um, you know, so these are folks who are used to sending a hundred or two hundred dollars US uh, back home every month. Um, they're not used to sending 0 0.03 Bitcoin, you know, and it's kind of a very difficult proposition for you to try to educate them to change their behavior. Um, so, you know, very, very quickly, we, we decided that, you know, perhaps, um, you know, teaching customers, teaching the end users how to use cryptocurrencies in the raw form, perhaps that's the wrong uh, method. Perhaps there's another way to go about it. Um, and eventually the system that we came up with uh, is a little bit more, I guess you could say more enterprise focused. Because what we ended up doing was we, we started to create a remittance platform that we were giving to uh, remittance business owners. Um, so these are like traditional money transfer operators. They're already licensed. They're already regulated. They're compliant in whatever jurisdiction that they're doing business in. And all we're really doing is giving them these tools, uh, um, either cryptocurrency settlement or some other kind of blockchain related tool that will allow them to either make their operations a little bit more optimized or uh, in, in the best case, uh, actually drastically reduce the cost of their services. And if the cost savings are large enough, then uh, you can hope that they will pass those savings on to their customers. Um, so, so we kind of took a different, uh, a different route. Um, but, you know, the end result is the same. The, the end users can still benefit from this stuff because 
the, you know, at the end of the day, what matters to them is that they are paying a little bit less for each of those transactions that they're doing. Um, but at the same time, there's no um, cognitive overhead. They don't have to learn a new set of behaviors in order to make this work. Instead, they're still going to the same remittance business, the same remittance agent that they've been going to you know, every month for the last couple of years. Um, but instead, the, the, the cost of the service has, has gone down. So, so that's kind of uh, the, that's always been the strategy of the company, mostly because we've found that that's the most effective way to go about it. Um, it's easier for people to benefit from this stuff if you don't have to kind of, uh, you know, force them into a new set of behaviors because that stuff takes time. I'm not saying it's impossible, but it takes a lot more time, a lot more effort and more resources than your average startup can really muster at an early stage. So, Louis, basically, you're running the back office operations, if you want. Bloom technology yes. allows, uh, yes. you know, money transfer businesses to run the back offices. Um, mm -hmm. as you said, yes. eventually they decide to, to change their uh, front end and, and so on for their customers mm -hmm. to be able to whatever benefit mm -hmm. from the transparency or whatever it is. Right. Yeah, that's correct. Um, so to be very specific about it, we, we act as a settlement partner, uh, meaning that the, the main cost that we are able to save for the remittance business is the foreign exchange rate. Um, so um, I can give you some very specific examples. When we started this company in, in 2015, our very first market was uh, South Korea to Philippines. Um, so there's not a ton of Filipinos working in South Korea. There's about 50 or 60,000 of them. So it's kind of a smallish. The consequence of being a small market is that it's also not very competitive when it comes to pricing. So the average Filipino back then was spending about 7 or 8% to send money back home. So in practical terms, if they needed to send $100 back home, they, it would cost them about 7 to $8 in fees, which is pretty significant, you know. And uh, what we were able to do was we were able to work with a remittance partner uh, in Seoul, in, in the capital of South Korea, um, who started using our systems. And uh, because of, uh, you know, kind of our collaboration, they were able to drop their prices to 3%. Um, so it's greater than 50% savings um, for the average customer. So it was a pretty big, it was a coup, you know, it's so like a, it was revolutionary at the time um, that, you know, people were able to suddenly do exactly the same transaction, but save um, nearly uh, over half of the fees that they were previously um, paying. Um, and over time, um, so we started, I think our very, very first commercial transaction was January of 2016. And over the next two years, um, we moved uh, a little over 100 million U.S. Uh, in, in total remittance volume from that, uh, from that corridor. So, you know, it had pretty good, pretty good take up. Um, you know, a lot, the word, word of mouth was very strong. Um, these micro communities tend to be very tight. So, you know, if one of them has found a, uh, a kind of a, a, an efficient way to send money back home, um, that news travels very quickly.
So uh, how many uh, uh, partners do you have, uh, such as the remittance partners that you mentioned so far? So there's uh, six remittance partners that we currently work with very actively, but our API is also open. Um, so that means that we, you know, actually there's about 50 partners that are connected to our API um, and about half a dozen of them are, are extremely active. Um, so you're talking, you know, uh, dozens to hundreds of transactions to thousands of transactions every day. Um, the API is, uh, is open to any licensed uh, remittance entity to use. Uh, and the documentation is, you know, you, you can just check it out online. So it's actually quite easy for them to get started if they wanted to. Um, at the moment, my, our, I mean, the, our company's our strongest focus is um, here in Hong Kong. Um, there is a sizable Filipino community uh, living here. And if you look at World Bank statistics, Hong Kong to Philippines is the most fiercely competitive remittance corridor on earth. Um, so it's, um, you know, if our remittance platform works here, it'll work everywhere is kind of the, the main thought there because like you will not find a more competitive corridor. Uh, anywhere else. Uh, I think that on a on a really good Sunday, you would be able to find remittance companies here who are charging less than 1% uh, for their transaction fees. So it's, it's really, really cutthroat over here. So Louis, um, I'll take this question off the podcast if you're not comfortable, but it's more uh, an academic question mm-hmm. from my end. Do you uh, do you not intend to disintermediate these uh, partners out of the remittance ecosystem altogether? Isn't that isn't that the real value add? Well, um, so there's a couple of different answers to that, but I think that um, so we tend to look at things in terms of short term and medium term. Long term is very, very fuzzy when it comes to crypto, right? It's kind of hard to tell what, what's going to happen 10 years from now. But between like today and five years from now, there are certain things that will not change. And primarily, I think um, the prevalence or sorry, the, the dependence of your average person on hard cash will not change. And, you know, that's for many reasons. One of, one of those reasons is that if you are a temporary worker in a foreign country, there's this tendency to not want to use banking um, because you feel like your money is just going to get stuck and, because you're not planning on staying there very long anyway, right? So uh, what does that leave you? It leaves you with lots of bills, lots of paper bills in your pocket. Um, and, you know, the primary way that these remittance agents kind of, uh, you know, show their value is because they are a hard cash uh, collection point. Um, and, you know, my company is a software company. We are not, you know, we're not interested in becoming hard cash collection points. Um, and there's always going to be value in that. It's not just, you know, it's not just the Philippines. It's many other um, uh, diaspora around the world um, kind of have a very, very strong dependence on hard cash. Um, and I don't see that going away uh, quickly, um, it will certainly go away at some point. It's, it's more of a generational problem, I think, um, but certainly not in the next five years. So, so yeah, I, I don't think of ourselves as competing with uh, remittance companies. Our interest is in leveraging the fact that they're here, that they have physical presence, they have customer loyalty, they have brand equity. Um, and what we want to do is kind of help supercharge their business. 
with this new technology. That's that's the mission of Bloom. Great, Luis. Between uh, South Korea that you mentioned with the seven eight percent sort of uh, charges and and the extremely competitive Hong Kong. Uh, market of of one percent. What are the other areas in between where where you have presence? So we're constantly working on new corridors. I can tell you that we've got Australia up and running. Um, a little bit of Singapore. Um, we're trying to bootstrap a French corridor um, uh, very soon, as well as Canada. So those are kind of the areas that we're currently working on. And you know, so part of the reason why it's a little slow. Is because we're in a we're kind of in this uh, regulatory state right now where some of this stuff is not clear. Uh, Philippines has kind of figured this stuff out already. As of 2017, you can just get a, a license to be a crypto remittance company. Um, so there's no question anymore that it's a legitimate uh, central bank uh, supported activity. That's That's not a question anymore in the Philippines. However, in other countries, it still is. It's still a question. Um, so we have to be careful about where we offer our services, and we have to be uh, cognizant and respectful of you know the different laws in the different jurisdictions that we want to do business in. So you know, it's not just a business development challenge. It's also kind of a a regulatory one where you know the technology is is there. Uh, we know that it works. Um, the question is, are the regulators and the, you know, the central banks of that particular country, are they going to be okay with it? That's the that's the the primary question that we have to be able to answer before we uh, decide on which new country to enter. Tell us a little bit about your technologies, Lois. Technology that you've used, Lois, and uh, you've you've uh, clearly scaled uh, to decent volumes in terms of what you're doing within remittance in Asia. So, uh, what kind of technology challenges you've had to overcome to get there? Mm. Well, um, I can tell you that when we started, it was a, a very very simple kind of uh, um, infrastructure. I mean, we were just using Bitcoin back then because. Um, you know, like back back in 2015, you didn't really have a whole lot of options. You know, Bitcoin was basically the only game in town. Ether was just starting. A lot of these other projects were kind of all just starting around that same time. Um, uh, so we've become more sophisticated since then. Um, like in mid 2017, we started to move some of our operations over to the Stellar blockchain. Um, and um, you know, so the Stellar blockchain is. A, a blockchain that was made back in, in, I believe it was invented in 2014 and launched out of San Francisco. Uh, and the mission of uh, this development foundation, the Stellar Development Foundation, has always been to create a blockchain for meant for cross-border payments. And so, kind of its main customer, they were always assumed would be non-bank financial institutions. Um, they would all be plugged into this global network. Of other non-bank financial institutions, and together they would form this web of um, pay-in and pay-out networks all across the world. So uh, it it certainly ties in very well with um, Bloom's um, kind of uh, vision for the world, where you know um, we try to make the act of moving money from one jurisdiction to another, we try to make it so cheap and so efficient. That it basically becomes a commodity, right? So that's kind of what we would like to do eventually. So Stellar is still kind of in its infancy, but we're very supportive of the 
of the overall mission of of this particular blockchain, and that's why we're starting to move over our our services. So we're uh, uh, what we call a, a, an anchor um, in, in the Philippines for this technology. So you're in transition into to Stellar, um, or you're already on Stellar and uh, supporting further development? Um, so we're we're already using Stellar actively right now, um, but not for all of our transactions. Just to for a, cer- a certain uh, uh, proportion, our tr- daily transactions are going through the Stellar network. Um, kind of the the majority of it is still happening via Bitcoin because that's kind of the I guess that's our bread and butter operation, and that's the that's the uh, method that the most number of our partners are are aware of and know how to use already. Um, but eventually, we will start to kind of transition as much of that stuff over to Stellar as we can because we think that just you know just generally speaking, long term, it's going to be more flexible um, and more appropriate too. Um, you know the the cost of a Stellar transaction is. Um, like one one hundredth of a U.S. penny, so it's um, it's so cheap that you know um, you can sometimes you know you know, you can just ignore the network fees to a certain extent. Um, you know, Bitcoin is not so expensive anymore. You can usually do a Bitcoin transaction for one or two cents, but you know, Stellar is just several orders of magnitude cheaper, and that's why we we think that it's a it's a better solution for what we're looking for. So, Luis, a financial inclusion for you beyond the remittance um, aspect of it um, as a, a person that's uh, thinking of the space and, and living in this space and, and uh, dwelling in what's going on with other projects, whether they're at the protocol layer or at the app layer, how do you think of financial inclusion and, and what do you see going forward? It's a really, really big and messy problem. And that's kind of why we've tried to focus on just one area of it at a time. Um, I think that, you know, kind of giving people um, just democratic access to this stuff is already going to put them on a good path, right? Um, so I like to use the, you know, the example of the internet itself, where, you know, back in 2000, 2001, you'd be hard pressed to say, like that the internet was a revolutionary medium. I'm sure many people believe that it was going to be revolutionary, but it wasn't until much later that it actually did start to change people's lives. But the one thing that it could do back then was that it was allowing people to access information that, you know, that was just not available to them, you know, in their own particular country. So like I learned how to become a programmer by reading tutorials on the internet back in 2000, 2001. Um, and, you know, I never went to um, computer science school or any of those, th- those things. I, I actually went to, a, to art school, uh, but I learned how to become a programmer um, because of the Internet. So it's kind of little things like that. You tend to underestimate their, their effect in the short term. Um, and um, I think we'll see the same thing here. Uh, my goal is to just be able to uh, give people a way to save a little bit of money. You know, um, you know, so we're saving maybe a hundred to two hundred dollars, um, if we're lucky, a hundred to two hundred dollars per person per year. And you know, that's not a huge amount of money, but you know, that hundred to two hundred dollars in savings, they could do something with that, right? And I don't know exactly what that might be, but you know, that's enough to pay for a semester in public school back home. 
Um, so, you know, that's, that's something. And I think it's that these kind of incremental uh, improvements that, that we can really kind of the, do these small wins that I tend to focus on more than, you know, the huge leaps forward. Because those tend to be a little bit more painful. They take a lot of resources. But I think that we're already seeing a little bit here and there. Um, and it's all about just kind of focusing on, you know, just being sustainable, being consistent, you know, being not just a paper product, but something that people can actually uh, reliably use day in and day out. And that's kind of, a, that's that's the the sweaty, messy part of entrepreneurship. Um, and it's not very sexy, uh, but, you know, that's, that's how you can really make a difference, I think. Thank you, uh, Luis. Um, you, you already mentioned uh, and shared with us that you come from an artistic background and I've been following your um, cartoon work uh, since I'm uh, personally an aficionado. I li lived in Montreal in the city uh, of the big, uh, you know, um, uh, cartoon uh, uh, publishing companies. And I was looking today at your Black Panther cartoon, which is really um, sort of uh, cynical about uh, the race or, or the and to get the top spot of crypto land. So tell us about uh, that aspect of your sure. analogy. Yeah, so um, uh, the art for me was always kind of an outlet more than anything else. Um, I, I, I've, as I said, I've been in the crypto space for a number of years now. And, you know, I, I do have some opinions about this stuff. But at the same time, I wanted to kind of express those opinions just in a different way, right? Um, you know, people get angry on Twitter a lot. And some other people will kind of like post some very um, kind of inflammatory things on places like Reddit or maybe in their blogs. So, so my method is just the art. And I tend to try to focus on the things that are funny or maybe a little bit more lighthearted. Um, but, but I do have an opinion about these things. And kind of interestingly enough, um, you know, uh, this really took off. Uh, about six to eight months ago. Um, and, you know, like, I think that more people in the industry now know me because of the, the artwork. So this is all on CryptoPop.net. Um, I think more people in the industry now know me because of the art than because of anything that we're doing with the, uh, with the crypto remittance um, business. And granted, the crypto remittance business is relevant to a small subset of, of the industry, uh, whereas the art, is kind of, uh, you know, it's a little bit more accessible. And I, I think that, you know, if I can make some people laugh about this stuff, then I think that you're already kind of, you're already one step ahead. Uh, entertain people, but at the, at the same time, try to make them think about um, what the art is saying. Um, very recently, uh, I started to get into this shtick where I would draw these portraits of these people in the industry that I thought were um, doing important things. Um, it's funny because, you know, we know the names of all of these people. We know the name of the founder of Ethereum or the founder of, of Stellar or whatever, but I, you know, most people don't know what they look like. Um, so I thought it would be interesting to kind of um, you do stuff like this to kind of highlight that these are people, you know, granted they're, they're sometimes they feel larger than life. And I certainly portray them uh, with a kind of sci-fi or fantasy kind of feel because it's kind of, 
fun to do it that way. Um, but I, th I think that it's cool that you can kind of, um, it, it gives you a different perspective on things when, when you actually put a face on some of these names that, you know, people write about or talk about all the time. Great. So, uh, Louis, I, I understand uh, uh, coconut-based drinks are quite famous in Philippines. I mean, some of my friends there um, are big fans of okay. that. So what's your favorite drink, uh, indigenous? My favorite, my favorite drink? Um, wow, okay. So I can't say that I'm much of a fruit juice type person. Um, I'm not super into the sugary stuff. Um, we do have um, quite a lot of um, kind of local wines um you know honestly the first thing that popped into my head was you know the coffee beans that are harvested in one of our mountain regions i like those um but yeah i i, I can't say i'm a, like I, I i'm at a loss to give you a specific thing i'm a whiskey drinker but that's not indigenous to the philippines unfortunately sure. it's been very nice talking to you um, and understanding Thank the you. asian market and the remittance uh, space within asia um, and have a nice day. Before you drop out, are you actually coming to Switzerland next month or not? Um, I'm trying to figure that out because I'm okay. actually speaking in Miami and then after that in Chile. Okay. So it's kind of a, it's a bit tight. Um, so I'm trying to figure that out. I'd really love to be able to go though. And uh, that's, um, that's still kind of high on my, on my list of year end priorities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Okay. Good enough. Great talking to okay. you, Luis. Okay. Thanks yeah. so much, guys. Thanks, Luke. Yeah.